God speaks to us in his word in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing, clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her work her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Thank you for being at church today. Any guests in the room, if you have questions, we would love to talk with you after the service and answer any questions you have. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here and excited to walk through this text that I know has probably already triggered some people in the room, some women in the room. You have all kinds of ideas about the Proverbs 31 woman and grew up in the church, listened to it, have felt the thing that a lot of women feel, that most people feel, but particularly women, is that you can never ever possibly measure up to this woman who seems to own a business, sell a business, make a lot of money, make clothes, clothe her kids, kill the animal, feed her kids the animal that she killed. Um, her two-year-old rises up in the morning to call her blessed. Anybody have ever had toddlers in the room? You know, and it seems like she does all of this in an afternoon. What a woman, of course, who wouldn't want to be like this woman. But, uh, but I think what the Lord has for us today is something profound and wonderful. So I'm going to ask you to pray before we jump into this. I'm going to ask you to pray for two things. I'm going to ask you to pray, one, for something and then against something. The thing that we're praying for is for God to use the word that he wrote um, to help us learn how to follow him. That's what we want. You need God. Whether you know it or not, you do. And we want to pray that he will use his word to help us follow him. That's the thing we're praying for. The thing that we're praying against is allergy season. I, as a matter of fact, I don't care. We could actually, at this point, just pray against the planet Earth. Because it is actively trying to kill me. I stood today, as I was about to walk out of my house, I stood at the door. And I knew I have to leave the house at some point. I've got to preach, somebody's got to preach, 
I'm the one that they said should do it. And I've already made the sermon, prepared it. I have to walk out that door. But I know on the other side of that door are all kinds of calamities. There's wind. There's probably pollen. I guarantee you there's some cedar stuff happening. I don't even know what it is. Red pine, whatever that is. All the things, whatever it is, outside the door is going to try to kill me. And so I stood there and I said, just kick the door open. I'm just kidding. I didn't kick the door open. Walked out and I said, do your best, earth. Anyway, we're not really going to pray for that. I just wanted you to feel sorry for me and feel my pain. Um, Allergy season is upon us. So let me pray for us that the Lord would move in his word today. God, we ask that you would make us tender and open to the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would break up the fallow ground, the hard clay, the hard soil, that you would break it up. Lord, help our women in the room to be blessed. Help them to be encouraged and challenged. And I pray the same for the men in the room, that we would be blessed but also challenged to be what you've called us to be, and that is to be um, people who submit to and surrender to your plan and your will and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, just by simply reading this text out loud, there's all kinds of things that, are, that have happened to the women in the room. We're finishing a series on femininity. Today's the last day for it. We had a conference uh, that we held in Oklahoma City, and then we, we just walked through how God has uniquely made women. We actually did this with men last year and wanted to do it with women this year because right now, it's one of the most appropriate things for us to talk about is the fact that God designed genders and he designed male and female, but it's not just that he designed them, period. It's that he designed them for good work, both co-equaling, co-laboring in the kingdom of God, meaning that they both share the same dignity and they both share the same value and they both actually image and glorify God the exact same amount, not one more than the other. So we have to understand, okay, if that's true, because everything outside of these walls is utter chaos, everything outside of this book is utter chaos, we just have no clue how to even approach women, men, none of it. So we need to go to the book, to the source, to figure out how do we approach it, because the chaos is not working anymore. It just doesn't. We need God's help. So what, how has God made men? How has God made women uniquely. And I mean that God has made women uniquely. I actually don't even feel like I have to convince you of that. That's just obvious. Every woman in the room will say, yeah, we're different. We have no desire to be men. We are different and men the same. God has made you uniquely. There are things that we talked about as woman, as a life giver. When we started this out, God has made you not just as a parent, not just as a mom, for sure that, but also for the single lady in the room, for the one who will never have kids. God made you as a giver of life. We talked about sisterhood last week. Elizabeth, who was pregnant, passed menopause. God miraculously made her pregnant, and then she became a sister, a true sister to her younger cousin, Mary, who was also pregnant. We talked about sisterhood. We talked about things like women are uniquely gifted in certain ways to really push forward the kingdom of God. They sense things, they see things that men don't sense and see. I asked the church last week, I said, has any man, raise your hand, if you have ever walked into a room and felt the room? Zero men raised their hands. That is so valuable. Women give us things, they help us, they help us understand 
and look at and see the glory and the goodness of God. God, who is omnipresent, fills the room. You understand what I'm saying? So it's important for us to know we actually can't even understand fully God and his full nature if we don't understand how he has uniquely made women. Feminine virtue, feminine strength to glorify him. And it goes for everyone. It's not just for the wife. Today is about woman as wife, but this is for everybody. If you're single, this is for you. If you're married and divorced, this is for you. If you've never been married, never want to be married, whatever it is, this is for you. If you are married, of course, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're not. Maybe you're struggling to be a mom. All these things are for you today. It's for every man in the room as well. It's the word of God. Here's what's thing that's fascinating. We have in this church profound women. I mean, honestly, profound. I, by God's grace, man, this is just, I could list so many. I mean, so many women in this church that are strong, courageous, uh, godly, feminine, humble, just beautiful in every way. Some of the best moms, some of the best wives, like that the world has ever, in my mind, I'm probably biased, but the world has ever witnessed are in this church. And I asked a couple of them this week, a friend of mine who's been a mom, raised kids to, um, adulthood now, I think we tallied up, I was having dinner with, I think we tallied up like over 20,000 days of be, her being a mom. And I asked her, I said, okay, let's just look, you've got one that's this age and another one that's this age and that's this many days. And so for this many days of your life combined, you have been a mom. Out of the 20,000 days that you have been a mom, how many of those days would you say that you've been good at it? Or that you felt good at it? And in my mind, I'm like, this is gonna be such a win for the sermon because there's no way this person's probably gonna say maybe 30, maybe 50, maybe 100. I, there could have been a year where I was like, overall that year I felt pretty good at parenting, which still would have driven home the point that nobody ever feels good at it. Out of 20,000 days, you know what she said to me? She said, maybe two, maybe. One of the best moms in our church, incredible. There is a mountain of, she, there's no way she would win that case in a court of law. There's a mountain of evidence against her only being a good mom twice in 20,000 days. I asked one of the best young women in our church, a a newly married young woman who uh, had been single for a while, got married mid-20s, and and I asked her, she's phenomenal, one of the best leaders in our church. How are you at being a wife? She goes, not great. Her husband would say, that's preposterous. He would lose his mind. He would try everything to convince her. What do you mean? I have told you, I tell you all the time. Please reason with me. You are good at this, but you can't convince. If we lined up 10, of, just pick 10 of the most brilliant, unbelievable women, single, married, mom, not mom, divorce, whatever it is, if we just found 10 of the most incredible, just, I don't know, Mother Teresa, pick the, in history, 10 of them right here, and we went down and we asked, okay, out of all of you, who thinks that they're really killing it, doing great at being a woman, or being a wife, or being a mom? I promise you, it doesn't matter how much evidence you have, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10 would say that they're not great at it. This is... <laughs> There's no evidence in the world that can convince them. From my logical brain, that makes no sense. It actually drives me mad. What is it? What is it? Why are you under so much attack? 
Woman, listen to me. Female in the room. Girl in the room. Why? Why are you under so much attack? We read Proverbs 31. It's like, well, I already feel like out of 20,000 days, maybe we're good at two of them. I don't know. And then you read Proverbs 31, and there's a woman who sells a thing and buys a thing and makes clothes for her kids, and then her toddler wakes up, calls her blessed. Her husband calls her blessed. Everything is blessed. This is perfect, wonderful, great. She does it all within a 30-minute time span. She's the greatest person. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for rubbing that in my face. The Bible wants me to be the greatest person who's ever lived. I mean, that's not the point. And the problem is this, is that when we take things out of context, which is what people do with Proverbs 31, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And when we make something not about Jesus, what we get is all kinds of crazy ideas about who we should or shouldn't be. And then the Bible backfires. It does something that it was not meant to do. It makes us want to sort of white knuckle it and grit our teeth and say, well, I must do better and try harder. That's the point. And it's not the point. Proverbs 31 is about the grace of God. It is about a life of aspiration for a woman. It's about a thing that we should aspire to over a lifetime. That's what Proverbs 31 is. It's an invitation to follow God, to have your strength come from the Lord. This is a lifetime of a woman's work, not an afternoon. The other thing is, is that all culture has an idea about how women should be. Secular feminism, which basically is this, is like, well, we think women should always be everything all at once. And most women would agree to that. Most men, because sometimes they're lazy, they would say, yeah, we agree with that too. Be everything all at once, please. As a matter of fact, you just add a tertiary view, you read Proverbs 31, and you're like, she does at least a billion things, and the only thing the husband does is sit at the gate. If you don't understand it, that's what it feels like. Secular feminism would say that to women, but then the problem is, is that it never provides. Secular feminism, for sure, which Proverbs 31 is not here to agree with our society. It says that women should make money but not care about money. It says women should be independent but, but also dependent. That they should buy land and sell land, be a mom whose kids are always angels, and then also the kids that take great, they're like fashionistas, they take great Insta photos. Be an influencer, host a podcast, run a women's ministry, run a ministry to the poor, care about the poor and live free. That's what society says that women should be. Proverbs 31 is not here to agree with that. I think the best way to sum it up is this. I asked Ivy Greenwood, I asked several women for feedback, and Ivy gave me something I thought was profound. Who Ivy's the one that just, she's a kids director, she just was up here giving the announcements and all that. She's phenomenal. Here's what she had to say about this, Proverbs 31 and feminism. I think it's profound. I'm gonna read the whole thing to you. The best feminism can do is point out, quote, it's impossible. But when it comes to actual solutions or ways to live in the world, they don't have much to offer other than do what you want. No matter what you pick, career, family, etc., there's guilt and pressure in feeling like you're doing it wrong. Women without kids or with kids, with careers, without careers, they all feel like they're not doing it right. Proverbs 31 woman firstly fears the Lord and it colors all of her life. If this proverb is a picture of her whole life, then we can assume she didn't do all these things at the same time. She did each of them, but not all of them simultaneously. She feared the Lord and did the next right thing. 
And when you look at all of her life, there's so much to honor, and it's all different from different seasons. A lot of women in this room, maybe every one of you, feel like they have to do it all, and it actually cripples them from doing any of it. It's not about doing everything the Proverbs 31 woman does today and all at once. It's about building a life by following Jesus. And following Jesus means laying down your life for others and leaning into points of growth. Proverbs 31 is about following Jesus. Literarily, it's also a poem, acrostic poem. Chases the Hebrew alphabet. It's written as a hero poem, actually, Proverbs 31. In the fashion of an excellent wife, someone to aspire to be like over the course of time. Again, I wanna say this again. Toddlers don't rise up and call their mom blessed. It's okay. The other thing is newlyweds, if you're 21 and you just got married or 22 or 23 or 24 or 33 or 34, chances are you're not gonna be an elder at the gate. (laughs) I'm just saying. This text is an invitation to serve and follow Jesus with home, with kids, with husband, whatever. Come back to her and be moved by her grace and say, you know what, I wanna follow the Lord. And I'm not gonna do it all at once, but I'm gonna serve the Lord in my life. Finally, this, Ray Ortland says this, God does not intend to crush us with a layer upon layer of demand. He intends to help us. The book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us stumbling through daily life. It is his counsel for the perplexed, his strength for the the defeated, his warning to the proud, his mercy for the broken. The The book of Proverbs is the gospel, good news for the inept through the wisdom of another. It is about grace for sinners. It is about hope for failures. It is about wisdom for idiots. This book is Jesus himself coming to us as counselor, our sage, and our life coach. I love that. So what does he say to us through this profound woman? I'm gonna give you a few things today. The first is this, her life as a wife, and really as a woman in general, but particularly we're talking about a wife today. Her life as a wife was her life as a missionary. She had a mission. She had a mission. She didn't just fall into it. She didn't just see it as her cross to bear. God had given her mission. Proverbs 31 is actually written as hero poetry. There are several terms within this little, chap- this little half of chapter that would have matched the way that men who had gone out and fought battles and won would come back. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. An excellent wife, he will have no lack of gain. Excellent literally translates to valiant. It's not even just virtuous. It's valiant. There's valiancy to her. A valiant man would have been explained as someone who has gone out and conquested, conquered. He's a valiant hero. Gideon, David, Samuel, Saul, all of these men. Valiancy. The other thing is this. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. Gain translates to spoils. She goes out and she conquers and she brings back the spoils. A domestic wife who is a war hero. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Food translates to prey. This woman is going hunting. 
You see what's happening here? The Bible is describing her. One author said that she would have belonged in the halls of the great poetry of the great heroes of Israel. This is hero poetry. It's weird terminology for a poem about a domestic wife, but the language is inescapable for every scholar that I read. This is written with the same language, terminology, and rhythm as mighty war heroes like Gideon, Samson, and David. And the Bible actually has a lot more to say about this kind of woman, this kind of feminine strength, this kind of feminine hero. It's just weird for us because in our day and time, we're not allowed societally to say that a woman who cares about her house, cares about her family and fights for them, fights for her husband, whatever, is heroic. We say, well, that's not heroic. What's heroic is for you to forget all of that and go do whatever. But what I'm talking about is not even having to do with marriage. I'm talking about it's having to do with a woman, single, married or not, that lives her life to bless other people. That's what's happening here. It's heroic. And the Bible does have a lot to say about this kind of woman who used their feminine strength to alter history. There's a story about Jael, this woman in the book of Judges. It's an Old Testament book. She's an Old Testament woman. She's married to a man. Um, they're under siege. Israel is. They're under siege by an army, a giant army. The commander of the army is a guy named Sisera. The king of the nation is someone named Jabin. They had been oppressed for 20 years, the people of Israel. So Jael, her husband, her family, her nation had been oppressed for 20 years by this nation, this other nation. And their army, the other nation, they're encroaching on them, finally just crushed them. And it's like 900 times the amount of people in that army that was in the army of the people of God. As a matter of fact, what happened was Jael's husband freaked out, became a coward, went and joined the enemy army. Well, Jael stayed. I mean, just imagine the logistics of that. She probably was a little mad at him. What happened that day was God was faithful to his people again. When they didn't deserve it, he was faithful to Jael, her people, and he used in Judges another woman named Deborah to overthrow this army that they were way outmatched and most of them fell. And Sisera, the commander of the army, was running for his life and Jael welcomes him into her home. And here's what happened. You wanna talk about, this is powerful and almost, this is a little bit of a scary story by the way, but it's powerful in that God uses her femininity to end oppression. Here's what happens. Sisera fled away on the foot of the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hezer and the house of Heber the Kenite, meaning that that house, he had gone and fled to the other army. And Jael, like this subversive agent, she came out to meet Sisera, feminine virtue here, hosting, she comes out to greet him, and said to him, turn aside, my lord, so slick. Turn aside to me, do not be afraid, she tells him. She opens her home, hospitality. So he turned aside. Remember, this is the commander of the opposing army to her into the tent. And she covered him with a rug. And she said, and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So instead of water, she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no, lie. But Jael, the wife of Heber, 
This is immediate. Took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And then just so in case you're wondering what happened next, so he died. Strength. And I love that she used all of her feminine tools, her gifts, to change a war. She's hospitable. She welcomes him in. She covers him with a rug. Instead of water, she gives him milk. Very nurturing. And then she softly goes over to him with a tent peg. Here's what's, here's what's, Here's what's crazy about, well, first off, her going soft. This really is, this is like, you could never share this story in like kids' church or anything, but um, can you imagine all the parents in the room? I see kids in the room too. I'm like, boy, y'all gonna have some conversations going home. The tent peg was, is profound. I mean, just imagine, this is a real story. This happened. This is historical. This is not like made up. This, of course, the Bible. This happened. Um, her job, so she wasn't just staying at home which is great. I mean, she wasn't just like waiting on him. She was working. And actually her job was to, as a Bedouin woman, would have been to set up and tear down tents for those people who are traveling. So they're literally making the home. She used not only her, the way that she's, her essence, her personality, the milk, all that, but she also uses the tool of her trade to kill that man. What a story. It's powerful, crazy, and I told you it's a little scary. <laughs> There's some men in the room going, hey, buddy, can you not tell those stories, okay? The best thing about JL, I think, is that she didn't let the sin of her husband keep her from doing the right thing, which is important because men and women were meant to work together, to build together, to be viceroys and subdue the earth and fill it. God gave that cultural mandate to both men and women under God and for his glory. Adam and Eve is where this starts. God makes Adam, forms him from the dust, and then gives him a cultural mandate before the woman. And his cultural mandate is this. Of course, be fruitful and multiply, but he says, work the ground and keep it. That's his labor mandate is, Adam, work the ground and keep it. Have dominion over the earth. And then after that, in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And what God is saying is it's not good that the man be alone. It's also not good that the man does this alone. Basically, God is saying, I need to make someone who can do the stuff that fills the earth with my glory with him so that it can get accomplished because it will not get accomplished with just him. Helper, Ezer, means this. It's not good that man be alone, I will make a helper. It means, literally translated, lifesaver and helper. Suitable, I will make him a helper fit for him or suitable for him is connecto, which is, means this, opposite and corresponding to. How beautiful is that? And explain that. Who comes up with this kind of stuff? Only God, Something, someone that is opposite of but then also corresponding to. Meaning this, here's your left hand, here's your right hand. They fit together. 
opposite of, but corresponding to male and female. Equal in correspondence, one who supplies strengths where it's lacking. The word helper is used 21 times in the Old Testament, two times for women, 19 times for God. Women were made differently. They were built for something. They were built for mission. The role of the wife is the role of a missionary. Proverbs 31, at just a glance, reads like this again. The wife does a thousand. She's got 12 jobs, 16 degrees, uh, blessed toddlers. I don't know. She does all these things. Her husband just sits at the gate. But if you understand this, what you understand is that to be among the elders, to be considered among the elders in that time would have been a life of prestige. That means he would have walked his calling out in such a wise way. This is a small group of men that over years he would have been seen as wise and kept and faithful and good. What actually Proverbs 31 is saying that there's no way he sits among the elders of the gate if it wasn't for his wife. If it's that old adage that we've all heard a lot, Behind every great man is a great woman. It's beautiful. I'm telling you this as, I'm preaching this to you as a non-married man. Um, If it was not for the women in my life, I can promise you, I promise you, I've got cold, hard facts to support. If it wasn't for the women in my life, there's no way I'd be doing what I'm doing. I wouldn't have stayed here. I wouldn't have said yes to God. I would not have fought sin like I have. I would not have, I would not have stayed preserved towards God like I have. He has used the women in my life. Young, old, doesn't matter. Peers, not. True sisters. Anybody else agree? Men? She's on mission. She's a missionary as a wife. The second thing I want you to see is the fruit of her life. Her life bears the fruit of someone who bears the image of God in both spirit and practice. She's practicing the image of God in her life. She's fruitful. One of the things that we see, a profound fruit of her, is that she is truly beautiful. She has true beauty. I say the word beauty, and everybody perks up. You're like, okay, I think I got that. The whole world's got their idea of beauty, but the problem is is that the world chases its tail on what beauty actually is. And I love this because there's nothing mentioned about her body, there's nothing mentioned about her makeup, and there's nothing mentioned about her workout routine. And this is the most beautiful woman who has ever existed. She's profoundly beautiful. She has a thing called inner beauty. Here's what it says about her. She dresses herself with strength. She does dress herself. Let's talk about her clothes. That's what the Bible's gonna say. Let's not talk about her fashion. Let's talk about her clothes. She does dress herself, but she dresses herself with strength. It makes her arms strong. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She gets her beauty from a source. It's her inner character that makes her beautiful. It's character shaped by God and for the good of those around her. She is a blessing. Listen to me. That's why I tell you that this is not just about a wife. It is about a wife. But this is also just about all of us. And women in the room, I want you to listen to me. God created you to be a blessing. 
He did. The thing about her life is that she has chosen because of the Lord to bless those around her, to bless not just her children and her husband, but also her sisters and the whole world. She's blessing merchants. You don't live on a coastline. You can't really bless merchants on ships, but you can actively pursue being a blessing to the world around you. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Scarlet meaning thick clothing, warm clothing. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Again, the world is obsessed with the concept of beauty, but it's just a concept to the world. God invented beauty because he himself is beauty. The Bible talks about this time and time again. The Psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's about beauty. It also says that he, God, is clothed in splendor and that no one compares to him. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her husband and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Is this every day? I don't know. That would be pretty incredible, every morning. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. It's a deep woman, a profound woman, but here's why. It's because of her relationship with God. She's a blessing because she has been blessed herself. She realizes it, she knows. God has done for me the thing that was impossible. And that is that he saved me to the uttermost when I didn't deserve it. She's not worried. She's at peace. I think that everything that we've listed so far, you can kind of dismiss and go like, I guess somebody can maybe be that once or twice. Like maybe I've done that. I've, I sold a thing once. I know about Facebook market. But then you get to this one line that is just insane. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Okay, we get it. But then she laughs at the time to come. Then we get to this point and it's like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me as a woman she is not nervous about what her kids are gonna do or what's gonna happen to them or what her husband's gonna do or what her life is gonna be like? And not only is she not anxious about it, she laughs at the time to come. Is this insanity? How could you possibly have such little anxiety about the future that you laugh at the time to come? How? I mean, the only example that I can think to tell you guys is one person in history that is able to provide this kind of strength, just one. And I think about Job 38, when Job had lost everything and when God showed up to Job, didn't give him an answer for the reason he lost everything, but he gave him presents, which was enough for Job. And with the way that God announced his arrival was him telling Job, you've been thinking about this all wrong. You're looking for an answer. You're looking for a woe is me, why this happened. And what you need is me. And let me tell you about me. Where were you, Job, when the seas needed an anchor? Where were you 
when I created the heavens? Where were you? And what God does to Job is he tells him, because Leviathan was the one thing everybody was afraid of. You remember the story? We preached on this, but maybe if you don't know, Leviathan was that great chaos monster, that sea monster. And really what Leviathan did was represented the devil and the sea represented death and hell. And everybody's scared of death. Everybody's scared of Leviathan. Everybody's scared of hell. Everybody's scared of the chaos. And then God shows up to Job and he says to him, you know what I do to Leviathan? I put a rope around his mouth and I play with him. The thing that you are most terrified of, your future, your kids, tomorrow, 10 minutes from now, 10 years from now, whatever it is, you know who laughs? You know who knows the future? God. He knows it. And here's the best thing. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord not to harm you if you belong to Jesus. Plans for hope and a future. How can a woman possibly feel this kind of strength? How can she laugh? There's only one way. She goes to the source of it. She goes to God himself who knows it all, sees it, has written it, and can be trusted. Which is the third thing, the source of her life, the source of her strength. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Strength and fear are mentioned several times in the Bible. The strongest people, the strongest men in the Bible are the ones who recognize their weaknesses. David, Paul, they both had to strengthen themselves in the Lord. How do you get strength? You get it from the source. And Proverbs 127 says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 31 is an invitation. It's also a prompt. It's good aspiration. Say, I want to be this. I wanna fear the Lord. I'm not gonna let it crush me. I'm gonna say yes to following God as a single woman, as a wife, as a not wife, as a whatever it is, I'm following the Lord. It's a prompt to turn our eyes and very lives towards Christ. And here's what it's ultimately about. It is about Christ who does us good and not harm like this woman. Christ provides food for us He's our daily bread. He clothes us with strength. Christ opens his hands to the poor. He builds us a house. Christ opens his mouth with wisdom and teaches kindness. And Christ himself is not anxious about the time to come. And the other thing is this, is Christ, like her, he clothes his kids in scarlet. Do you know what that means? Scarlet, this is blood-washed clothes. This is the gospel Jesus himself does for us the thing that we could never do for ourselves. You could never, on your best day, in your best behavior, ever clothe yourself with righteousness. Jesus does. Like her, the invitation today is look to Christ, the author and perfecter of faith. We can't even have faith without God putting it in us. Return to him, come to him. Women in the room, listen to me. 
It is possible for you to have a blessed life. It is. But ironically, it's not possible for you to just grit your teeth and say, I'm just going to be this. What it is that is strong about this woman is that she has surrendered her will, her life, her dreams. She surrenders that to Christ. She surrenders that to God. And she keeps resurrendering it. This is not a one-time thing. This is a lifetime of following the Lord. You can bring your anxieties to him. You can bring all of your pain. You can bring your uncertainty to God. He's a good shepherd. Let's stand together.